0: Open your Bible tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians once again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're here beginning in verse 4. We find the Apostle Paul giving us a vivid description of the of love, where he says love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, love does not brag and it's not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Well, as we come to this passage once again tonight, we're talking again about the subject of love and the description that Paul is giving here of love. Please keep in mind that the context of the situation of the church in Corinth, this is a church that is in turmoil. Though they have been tremendously blessed by the Lord with amazing, gifted preachers, they have been tremendously blessed with people who were amazingly gifted. There in their church over the years, it was a church that was in turmoil. In fact, if you were to go through the book again, you would see that really towards these last chapters, Paul is actually having to answer some questions that had been brought up in the church, some of the struggles that they were having. And it was a divided church in many ways. And one of the primary reasons why they were divided church and the turmoil was there is because of this very subject, of love. There was a lack of love. There was even apparently a lack of love in some of the teaching. There was a lack of love in, in some of the serving. They were even displaying a lack of love in regards to their participation in the Lord's Supper. So Paul is instructing them more about love. And as we begin there in verse 4, we saw the last two weeks together, we have seen the positive side of love. That is two things that should be and will be associated with true biblical love, our love for one another, and that was patience and kindness, that love is patient and love is kind. But if you notice when we read through it a moment ago, he now will begin a string of what I call eight vices that are not compatible with biblical love. Tonight, I want us to look at three of those. And the three I want us to look at, I I want us to look at them together because in some ways, I, I think they go together. And you'll see that as we walk through this together tonight. Notice he says, Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. And it is not arrogant. When he speaks about jealousy, Think about envy, envying others, especially when they have something that you would like to have. That instead of rejoicing with someone who is being honored, rejoicing someone that God is blessing, rejoicing with someone that God is using for the cause of Christ, you become jealous of that. That's not biblical love. Or as he says, love does not brag. That's speaking about yourself. Building yourself up in the eyes of others, especially at the expense of others, if necessary. Speaking of your accomplishments. Taking credit for what God alone really has done. Trying to put yourself above others. So we have jealousy, we have here bragging, and then we have here the idea of being arrogant are really just thinking more of yourself than you should. Thinking, someone thinking they're better than others. Someone who thinks, and listen carefully to this, because we're going to see this was a problem in the church at Corinth, thinking that they know better than God. That is a form of arrogance. In some sense, that was part of the issue for Eve in the garden. She clearly knew the command of God, what God had said. The devil came to her and tempted her and she came to believe that she and the wisdom of the world knew better than God and she chose to go with the wisdom of the world. So those are just a brief definitions and understanding of what Paul here is saying when he says love will not be compatible with jealousy. It will not be compatible with boasting or bragging. It will not be compatible with arrogance or with pride. And let's take a moment tonight and let's first look at just a few verses here in the book of Proverbs that will address one of these three. Go back to Proverbs and let's start in chapter 8 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 8. In Proverbs 8, verse 13, tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But notice pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So you get a good understanding right here off the bat how God thinks about pride, how he thinks about arrogance. He sees it as evil. And it is something that he hates. And clearly if God hates something, we want to hate what God hates. I'm not saying hate someone. I'm talking about hate. We we should have a hatred for any arrogance, for any pride that is in our life. And we all struggle with pride. We can all struggle with arrogance. And we should have a hatred for it. And see it as being evil in the sight of God. Turn over to chapter 11 in Proverbs. Verse 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride is there, you can know that coming on its heels will be dishonor. Go over to chapter 16 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 16, and look with me in verse 18. This is probably a a verse that you've heard before and thought about where it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. The Bible warning us clearly of this issue of arrogance, this issue of of boasting, that this is displeasing in the sight of God, and also warns us of the harm that can come from it. Look, if you will, now over in chapter 27 of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27, and look with me very carefully for a moment at verse 4. Where it says, wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. But who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy is a, something that can bring harm to our lives. Or one other place just to look for a moment over in chapter 29. And verse 23. Where we're told that a man's pride will bring him Low but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Clearly, when you read through these passages and other passages that we could read in the book of Proverbs, that we see that pride, anger, boasting, bragging, jealousy, these are things that are ugly in the sight of God. And not only are they ugly in the sight of God, we see that they can be detrimental to our spiritual well-being. But now let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And I want us to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'll walk a little bit over in 2 Corinthians because you'll see why this was so important for Paul to take the time to address the subject of love and to let them know that This idea of jealousy and this idea of boasting and bragging and this idea of being arrogant is not compatible with biblical love because this is something that this this church is struggling with in all three of these areas. Let's start off, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter three. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter three. And notice what's going on here. Notice that there is jealousy and there is, in some sense, bragging that is taking place. Foolishness. That's why he opens it up in verse 1. And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy... And strife among you. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Here in this church at Corinth, they're struggling with the sin of jealousy. Of being envious of others. Envious of what others have. That some have other gifts that they don't have. That some have been baptized by Paul and some haven't. In fact, that's why you go on to read down in verse 4, it wasn't just jealousy and strife, it was even a bragging and a boasting for when one says, well, I'm of Paul. And another says, well, I'm of Apollos. He said, look, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? We're just servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. You see the struggle that they're having there and Paul is answering their problem, this jealousy and this boasting that they're having where one's identifying with Paul and one's identifying with Apollos and they're jealous about who got baptized by who and and who was given this gift and who was given that gift and yeah, but your gift gets to stand up and speak more than my gift and nobody seems to notice me because of the gift, the spiritual gift that I have received and the way I serve. No one ever talks about me. Nobody ever says anything about me and and I'm jealous of what's going on and the more showy gifts and and, and this bragging that was taking place in the church and Paul says look how foolish this is because in verse 6 I planted, Apollos watered but God was the one causing the growth it wasn't me, it wasn't Apollos and not only that, it's the Holy Spirit who distributes the gifts to each person He's the one who decides who gets what. So whatever it is that you have, you received it by grace. Salvation by grace. Spiritual gifts by grace. It's all by grace. There should be no jealousy, no bragging, no boasting. In fact, if you remember, when you come to the end of chapter 1, if you ever begin to want to be boastful, of your salvation, just remember in verse 30, it is by his doing that you're in Christ Jesus. So that just as it is written in verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Look over in chapter four. Verse one, he says, let a man regard us in this manner, just as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. And they're just wanting to be found trustworthy, he says. And he goes on to speak down in verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written. That is, don't put on us more than what the Bible says. Don't attribute to me, Paul says, and don't attribute to Apollos, Things that we really had nothing to do with. We were just servants of the Lord. We're just stewards of the mysteries of of God and what he's given us. And we're just being faithful to that. And we were planning and watering and just proclaiming the gospel and teaching you the truth. So that as he says there in verse 6, So that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Again, they're struggling with this this idea of being arrogant and arrogant puffed up towards one another as though they had something to do with it. Verse 7. For who regards you as superior? Notice what he says. What do you have that you did not receive? You received this. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why do you act as though What you're able to do for the cause of Christ, why are you acting as though it was something natural and inherent in you? It wasn't. You received the ability to do that. Even some natural abilities that you have in that sense, they're natural, they may not be a spiritual gift, but every ability you have, God gave it to you. You received it from God, and you received the spiritual gifts from God. So don't act as though this is something that you didn't receive. You received it by the grace of God. You didn't deserve and I didn't deserve to receive the spiritual gifts that I received from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has just graciously chosen to give me the gifts that I have where I can serve the body of Christ. And this, that's the same thing for you and for all of us. Thus, there should never be any jealousy. There should never be any boasting or arrogance in the body of Christ. Now, look over. And this one, this form of arrogance is a different form that comes up at the end of chapter 4. Go to verse 18 now for a moment. He says, verse 18 now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? What is Paul addressing here? Here Paul is addressing, addressing the, the, an arrogant attitude of someone in the church feeling like they don't have to be accountable to anyone else. This idea, he's saying, look, Paul's not coming back, and I'm free to do what I want to do and do it the way I want to do it, and I'm not accountable for my life and what I do outside the church and what I do inside the church. No one has any other say over my life. And Paul says, "If when I come to you, I will address it. And just think about that for a moment. This can happen with, with an individual in the church, but also can just happen to churches. Churches that can have adopt an, an attitude, even an attitude of arrogance that says, we can do what we want to do. Whether God's word says it or not, we will do it. I think that's what you see When we see the churches today, in some sense you may even call them so-called churches, but that clearly are affirming things that the Bible condemns. And they're saying, we will do it the way we will do it, whether the Bible says it or not. But now, before we become haughty about that, Think about what he goes on to say in chapter 5. Because what we're going to read in chapter 5 is a common flaw of arrogance in the typical church. In chapter 5, he begins to deal with the issue of sin in the church. Where he says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind as does not even exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. Notice what Paul says about that situation. Verse 2, You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. What we say, what's he talking about? He says, For I am my part, though absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this and as though I were present in the name of our Lord Jesus when you're assembled and I with you in spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleaven of sincerity and truth. Notice he's, this is not something new to them. Verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now they had misapplied what he said. They were to speak thinking he was talking about the immoral people of the world outside the church. No, he was saying the people who were inside the church. He says in verse 10, I did not at all mean with with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters, for you then would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now go back to what Paul is saying to them. Again, this is not something they didn't know. They had already been taught the word of God. Paul had wrote them a letter who said, this is how you handle these situations. If you have sin of this nature in the church, you have to address that sin. And in addressing that sin, it may come to the point where you have to remove that person from the church. And he says, you have that situation and you have become arrogant. How had they become arrogant? They had said, we know better than God. God has said it this way, but we will do it another way. We will do it God's way when it comes to this. Beloved, that's why I say, if you walked into the typical church, the typical church has become arrogant about this. And Paul is saying, love and... Love is not arrogant, thinking they can do better than God. In fact, just so you know, go over to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Pick it up in verse 20. He says, for I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and be found by you not to be what you wish. That is, I may come there and I find what's going on and I may not like what I I find and you're not going to like what you find about me and how I'm going to handle that. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, Disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. We see two of the very sins he or things he's talking about. Love is not jealous and love is not arrogant. And he's concerned that when he gets there, this is what he's going to find still in the church. And he says in verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned. Notice the difference. Paul here, as he says in 1 Corinthians 5, he's mourning over this. He's mourning over the sin of the many of those who have sinned in the past. And notice, and have not repented of the impurity, the immorality, the sensuality, which they have practiced. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's just a reference over to the gospel or in the Old Testament, but it's also, you can go back to the gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus says, if your brother sins, go to him. You approach him. If he repents, it's over. If he doesn't, you bring two or three more with you to approach him. So that the facts can be confirmed. As he says in verse 2. I have previously said when present the second time. But though now absent. I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past. And to all the rest as well. That if I come again I will not spare anyone. Paul again is. He's broken over the church at Corinth. Because they are displaying a lack of love. Now hear this carefully. They're displaying a lack of love because they have become arrogant when it came to addressing sin in the church because they knew what they were supposed to do and they chose or they refused to do it. And he says that's arrogant. You should be mourning over this. Well, it as we looked at this morning and think about this tonight, please understand when we think about love because oftentimes in in people's minds, they think love and, and doctrine don't go together. And love and discernment don't go together. And love and discipline, they don't go together. No, beloved, they're all friends. They all go together. You do this out of love. It's for the the sake of the person. When you look back, Paul saying, I'm going to turn this person over for the destruction of their flesh. They're in Satan because I want their life to be saved. I want their soul to be saved. It's about their spiritual condition. That's what he's concerned about. That's why he's mourning over this. This is a form of arrogance. That though we may think it is loving, it's just the opposite. Well, let me show you another way in which there could be arrogance in the church. That's the opposite of love. It's not compatible with love. Go over to chapter 8 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is really in the context of spiritual or, or freedoms that we have in Christ. Things that we understand that some people don't understand. In verse 1, he says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. What he's saying there is, is that if all of a person has is knowledge, and they have a right understanding but they don't have love, that is something that can can make them uh, arrogant before the Lord. Knowledge makes arrogant if it's without love. And you go on to see the situation that he describes down here. We talks about in verse seven, think about he's been speaking about knowledge and in verse seven he says, however, not all men have this knowledge. They don't all have the knowledge that there is really no such thing as an idol in the world, that there is no God but one God, the one true and living God. And you remember that the context of this is people who have been living in this idolatrous world and, and they've been offering up meat and sacrifices and all these different things to idols. And so they've been saved and they're, they're coming out of that and, and, and they're, they're struggling with what can I eat, what can I not eat? What can I do, what can I not do? I, I'm not sure here. And, the, and they're struggling in their conscience on how to deal with that. And some have already come to understand rightly what they could do and what they couldn't. And that's why he says, but not all men have this knowledge. And he goes on to speak about there, about not using your knowledge in a way that would harm your brother or cause him to stumble. Because if you have the knowledge, that knowledge can make one arrogant towards others. And this is what was happening in the church at Corinth. Corinth. Paul picks this up again, this very subject, over in the book of Romans. Uh, Turn over there for just a moment, because here he ties it into love. Go to Romans chapter 14 for a moment. Romans chapter 14. In verse 13, Romans chapter 14, verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know there's that knowledge and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That is, you're free to eat what you want to eat. You're free. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer, notice what he says, walking according to love. See, that's where when Paul says, I have knowledge and I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus Christ that I have the freedom to sit down here at this particular restaurant, he says, and to eat this meal and even food that had been sacrificed to an idol. And now it was bought for cheap and it's now being served in a restaurant and Paul's sitting down there eating it and he knows it has nothing to do with idolatry and that he's not worshiping any idol whatsoever. But he knows that there could be a brother or sister in Christ that's weaker in their understanding and doesn't understand that. And they see Paul doing that and their conscience could be crushed by that. So Paul says, look, I'm not going to use food or anything like that to bring harm to someone else. So I will deny myself that freedom that I have in Christ. I'm not going to let my knowledge make me arrogant and say, you know what? I can do it so I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody else thinks or says. And sadly, that is too often in the church as well. Paul saying, no, you have a principle of love. Don't become arrogant. But instead, choose to practice love even when you use your freedoms. This is something the church at Corinth struggled with. Maybe one other place we could look. Go back to 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 14. In here, there, there seems to be a boasting and a bragging. Again, the, the use of the gifts and what was taking place. And and it's causing confusion. That's why he has to lay out these instructions here in verse 26. What's the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. These are all things where someone would be speaking. And they were almost all stepping on top of one another because they were wanted to be first. They wanted to make sure they were heard. I got a revelation from God. I want to say it. It doesn't matter whether someone else was already speaking. I have a message from God. It's time for me to speak. I have something, a psalm. I want something I want to say. You know, someone's speaking in tongues and there's an interpretation going on. All these things for edification. He says, look, let all things be done for edification. Practice love. It's just bringing confusion. So we see this taking place here, even in the, in the church there at Corinth and how they struggled with jealousy how they struggled with arrogance how they struggled with bragging he said well where does this come from where does these sins come from well the book of galatians in galatians chapter 5 verse 19 and 20 we're told that these are the deeds of the flesh these are the deeds of your sinful flesh One of the deeds of the flesh is jealousy. One of the deeds of the flesh is strife and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions. So one of the reasons why we struggle where this comes from, it just comes from we're just sinners. But also, beloved, understand, it can also be because of Satan. Go over to the book of James, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Verse 14. Where James here kind of ties these three together. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant. And so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But, beloved, it can come even from Satan or it can be demonic or it can be just earthly, natural. The wisdom of the world is from our sinful flesh. This is where these things come from. And understand, and I know you know this, but Satan loves, he loves these things to be going on in the church. He loves for there to be arrogance. He loves for there to be boasting and bragging. He loves for there to be jealousy because he knows when those things are happening, there's turmoil in the church. And he just loves jealousy and bitterness and anger and pride and and, and boasting. He, He loves all those things. Because he knows when we're doing that, we're grieving the Spirit of God. You say, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is this. The answer is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is to walk by the Spirit. And we can see that as we prepare to close tonight. Go back over to the book of Romans for a moment and look at Romans chapter 13. And in verse 13, Romans chapter 13, verse 13, Paul says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Remember, we saw in Galatians 5 that this is the deeds of the flesh. And he's saying, now put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do that, then you're making no provision for the flesh and its lust. Look over. Again, the book of Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Where we saw the deeds of the flesh is... And it follows on the heels of that in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Verse 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You see, the answer there is to walk by the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is going to produce love. And where there's love, there's not going to be boasting. There's not going to be jealousy. There's not going to be that anger. There's not going to be that bragging. And there's not going to be that arrogance. You say, well, how do I do this? How do I walk by the Spirit? How how am I going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first off, just look to Christ. You need to be looking to Christ. And by looking to Christ, what I mean by that is, is keep thinking about the gospel. Keep thinking about the grace God has shown you. Keep thinking about the salvation God has given you. Keep thinking about the gifts God has provided you. That everything you have, you have received from Him. They're all from Him. If you keep looking to Christ in that way, And you keep leaning on Christ. That is, as you look to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as you look to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and put off the flesh, and you look to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you keep looking to Jesus and thinking about the grace He's shown you in salvation, and you keep leaning on Him. You keep trusting in Him. You keep knowing that even as you want to do what God says to do, you're going to lean and depend on Him. Because if you just jump out there and say, alright, I'm going to go live for Christ, but you're not looking to Christ, and you're not leaning on Christ, you're going to eventually fall on your face. And it's going to turn even into legalism. See, by looking to Christ and leaning on Christ is how we see this thing we talked about this morning in Philippians 1. That this being filled with the fruit of righteousness is only through Jesus Christ. So you look to Him, you lean on Him, and thirdly, you listen to Christ. Now understand what I mean by that. I'm not saying you need to go listen for some still, a still small voice in your head. I don't want you living by some subjective feeling that you have. I'm saying by listening to Christ, you turn to the objective word of God and you read it for yourself, you study it yourself, you understand what it rightly says and how to interpret it, and then you apply it to your life. That is listening to Christ. You listen to what God says in his word. And then... You go live it. You live for Christ. You live for Christ. Now you do what he says. But that's after you've been looking, leaning, and listening. This is how we do this. This is how we can have this love. We can keep out that jealousy. We can keep out that bragging. We can keep out arrogance. Now no one's going to do this perfectly you're going to sin. You're going to get jealous. You're going to boast. You're going to brag. You're going to struggle with pride. You're going to struggle with arrogance. And that's why you need to keep coming back and leaning on Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful my salvation is solely because of you. Because if it had anything to do with me, I'd never make it. I'd fall on my face. I'd give up. I'd just say, this is over. Because this is never going to happen. But Jesus finished it on the cross. And we look back to him. And trust him. Let love come out of your life. Push back against these vices that are not compatible with love. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment in prayer.